0: Morning. morning morning that's good that's good i like that i've got low self-esteem so you're welcoming that way it makes me feel good as pastor r said i'm ron warren i'm a president and ceo of CareNet, which is a not the local uh, office in frederick but the national office which is in virginia I'm delighted to uh speak with you today and first i want to say happy father's day to all the fathers <coughs> it's a great day to be a father and uh i am a member of that uh fraternity so it's uh It's always good that they celebrate us during the day. Amen? Amen. Now, as you know, we've been talking about uh, We Mission, and uh, certainly since it's Father's Day, of course, I wanted to sort of integrate um, the fatherhood message into the We Mission theme. And, you know, I've got a message that's obviously targeted for fathers, but uh, I really believe that there is a perspective here for everyone, whether you're a father or not. I'm going to kind of tease that out a little bit as i talk but you know it's interesting as i thought about the series as well this whole notion of we mission i was thinking about we double e we mission right like the we ones like the mission that uh fathers have particularly uh to disciple the little ones that god blesses us with in fact uh, timothy second timothy chapter 2 verse 2 t- paul tells timothy to entrust what Paul has shared with him to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That sounds a lot like fatherhood to me. So as I share today, I want you to keep that perspective in mind. So let's get started. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn them to Mark chapter 10, verse 49 to 52. It's the story of the blind beggar. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and follow Jesus down the road you know some years ago I, I uh, went back to my hometown I grew up in Toledo Ohio and I went back there for my 30th year high school reunion and I took my wife with me and it was kinda of this journey to my past I took her to some neighborhoods where I used to live and, and uh, things like that and just kinda of reminisced a bit and um, kind of a very emotional time after 30 years kind of getting back there and I spent over a decade as president of national fatherhood initiative and and people often ask me like when did you start getting involved with this fatherhood work and how did you get connected and I always tell them it was when I was a six-year-old boy and my mother left my father and moved herself and four kids all under the age of eight to a one-floor apartment in a tougher part of town My older brother Ronnie and I uh, immediately started acting out, Um, and we just got in so much trouble. I remember we used to go to school and get the free breakfast, because we qualified for that economically. We'd get the free breakfast, and every good day starts with breakfast, and then we'd, uh, we'd skip school. He was in fourth grade, I was in second grade. We'd steal money from my mother's purse or the couch where we could find it and then we'd jump on the bus and we'd ride downtown and we'd just hang out downtown all day we were thick as thieves my older brother and I and uh, you know in an interesting way he sort of became sort of a father for me in many ways kind of a father figure we were very close you see I went to four different grade schools by the time I was in fifth grade so I never really made friends it was just Ronnie and I well about a year or so after uh, we'd moved into that one neighborhood my mother was able to pull together enough money and she moved us into a little better part of town. On uh, that first summer, she decided to take us to Las Vegas to visit my aunt, uncle, and some cousins. And it was July, and, you know, Las Vegas gets very hot. I tell people often that, you know, there's hell, and then there's Las Vegas in July. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy hot. So it was a house full of kids. with seven of us, and they decided to drop us off at a public pool. In a typical fashion, my brother uh, and another kid soon got in trouble. And I remember splashing away in the pool, and my, my brother, you know, had been kind of asked to sit out, and he's sitting there on the platform around the pool. Uh, they are kind of dejected because the lifeguard had kind of told him he was running or doing something. I mean, we were just kind of a wild kid in a lot of ways, and he was sitting there pretty dejected. Well, after a while, we decided to c- get something to eat, and so my cousin and I noticed that my brother was no longer sitting next to the pool. So we went down to the kiddie pool, and he wasn't there. And we went to the locker room, he wasn't there either. And as we were coming out of the locker room, we noticed a crowd gathering around the pool, and I heard someone say they found someone at the bottom of the pool. As I approached the platform, I could see that it was Ronnie, and he wasn't moving. The lifeguard tried to revive him, but it was too late. He was dead. You know, that started a time of profound and deep loneliness for me as an eight-year-old kid It seemed like in a twinkling of an eye I had lost my kid brother and instinctively even at that early age I, I kind of knew that I really needed my dad um, to kind of help me make sense of all of this but he wasn't really there in fact uh, I don't recall my, my father and I ever having a conversation about this he actually died in 1998 we just never really had a conversation about the death of my brother I mean, we talked about all kinds of things, but for some reason, we never actually went there. Maybe it was too painful for him. I, I guess I'll, I'll never know. Well, anyway, during that trip back to my boyhood town, all this stuff starts rushing back, and all this stuff that I thought I had dealt with comes rushing back, and you know, the stuff that I thought no longer mattered. And uh, on the Sunday we were supposed to go, my wife and I got invited by one of my cousins to go Attend his church, and so I didn't know where where the church was. So I kind of put the address in the GPS, and we drive over there. And ironically, it turns out that the church is right across the street from that one floor apartment. So we went in the church and sat in the back. And uh, as soon as I sat down, I looked at the at the front and behind the the podium. There was this banner and it said, It's time for a new beginning. It's time for a new beginning. It's time for a new beginning. So, shortly thereafter, I came across this passage about Bartimaeus and I realized that I was much like him. I still needed healing related to my past, related to my absent father. But unlike the beggar, I'd been unwilling to really call out to Jesus because there were so many forces. just sort of the way that I'm wired a bit to say, hey, you can handle this. Don't bother Jesus. You can handle this. And God showed me sitting in that little church that it was time for a new beginning. It's a time for a new beginning. And as I considered that, I also thought, gosh, when I started to think about the fatherhood issue and what's happening in our nation, it's time for a new beginning, especially for men and women who call God their Heavenly Father. It's time for a new beginning when it comes to fatherhood. You see, today, one out of three kids live in homes absent their biological father. It's about 25 million kids in the black community. It's two out of three. It's sort of the norm in the environment where I grew up. And the data shows that these kids are more at risk to use drugs, fail in school, become teen parents, end up in jail, more likely to be poor, experience behavioral problems in school, And as one who was raised by a single mother, I knew well and know well how difficult it can be for mothers and their children. It's time for a new beginning. And for us dads, those God entrusted to care for the wee ones here today, it's time for a new beginning. But also for sons and daughters here, it's time for a new beginning. For grandfathers and folks like that, it's time for a new beginning. And even for people who are not even dads, I mean, there aren't dads. And for moms, too, it's time for a new beginning. So what I want to do is kind of talk about that and maybe give you a way to kind of connect to fatherhood in a different way. So let's start with me talking to the dads. Now, Jesus clearly models how we are to be with our children. Consider the story of the blind beggar right? So here's the scene, right? Jesus is walking. There's a crowd around him. They're all pressing on him. There's noise. There's commotion. There's distraction. There's all this stuff that's pressing in on Jesus. And in the midst of all that, Jesus hears the blind man. So the question here today is, do we hear our children calling us through the noise and the commotion of our busy lives? How do we hear that small voice? You see, I believe the kids have a hole in their soul in the shape of their dad. I believe that God whispers into the wombs of their mothers that there's this one that should love them like no other. And that when a father is unable or unwilling to fill that hole, it can leap a wound that's not easily healed. And I know that because I'm a wounded soul. I suspect some of you may be too. And so the story of Bartimaeus is a challenge to us, you see, because of the busyness of our lives and all the many distractions. You know, his dad said, sometimes we can be physically present, right? But emotionally and spiritually absent. And when we're physically present and emotionally and spiritually absent, it leaves a wound as well. But it also leaves an opening for the evil one if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and on to chapter 4, verse 1. It's the story of the baptism of Jesus. Let me read that for you. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. And then going on to chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, you know, I read that passage many, many times. I've been a Christian for lots of years. And some years ago, it just struck me anew. You see, God gave me this insight. Affirmation before temptation. Affirmation before temptation. You see, Jesus was fully God and fully man, but God the Father knew that in his humanity there was a power in a father's affirmation. And you know, the timing of this affirmation was significant. First, Jesus was about to set out into the world on a mission, on a we mission, for which he came into the world. The words of affirmation actually confirmed his identity, his purpose, and his destiny. Second, Jesus was about to enter a time of tremendous temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says that he was going to be tempted by the devil. And as we know, he was tempted in three ways lust of the flesh, or the desire to enjoy, lust of the eye, the desire to obtain, the pride of life, or the desire to accomplish. And as we know, Jesus faced all of these temptations and did not sin. You see, everything that Satan tried to use as temptations, were imitations of the real thing and were things that Jesus possessed already. He already had the true enjoyment through his relationship with God the Father. He obtained all that there was through his relationship with God the Father, and he was sure to accomplish his most important tasks and the most important task of all creation when he died on the cross and took on the sins of all humanity. You see, Jesus had a divine clarity when he faced Satan's temptation. His father had affirmed him, so he knew who he was, and he knew whose he was. And when you know the real thing, no imitation will do. Now, my wife is a loves coca-cola she doesn't drink as much of it now as she used to but she loves coca-cola and some years ago they came up with the new coke do you remember that the new coke and you remember coca colas their the whole theme was like it's the real thing coke is right the real thing so when they came up with the new coke and they tried to tell people that the new coke was the old coke what happened rejected it why because they had tasted the real thing and they said the new coke was not the real thing and they rejected it. See, see when you when you have the real thing no imitation will do and so i started to think about all the children in the world in our country and our homes who have never heard their father say this is my son or this is my daughter whom i love with him or her i am well pleased because there's one thing we know for sure is that the tempter will come, right? No matter where you live, in one form or another, and he will seek to fill the feel of a hole in our children's souls, not with affirmation, but with, intimid- with uh, imitation, just like Satan tried to do with Jesus. You see, every hustler, pimp, drug dealer, anybody out there who seeks to encourage our children to sell their bodies, sell their souls. They understand this very, very well. But when our kids know whose they are, and they know who they are, they won't settle for anything less than the real thing. Now I heard about just a wonderful program that happened here in the church. There's a group of about 12 or so um, fathers and and their boys, ranging from the age of 9 to 12, just finished something called Raising a Modern Day Knight, where the fathers and the sons participated in a Bible study, did homework together, and they had a celebration ceremony last weekend where each one of the sons was called out individually into the group of men, and their father spoke words of affirmation over them and called them into biblical fatherhood to reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and to invest internally, eternally, rather. They knighted their sons and prayed over them. This group of men, fathers in this group of men, it was a powerful time. See, that's affirmation before temptation. And boys need this, but also girls need this, too. As my wife reminded me, so many of you have college students that are about to go off, and I can tell you as someone who went to college, there's temptation plenty there. Do your kids know whose they are? And do they know who they are? Because the tempter will come, for sure. So the question for us fathers is, are we listening? And do we have the ears to hear the way that Jesus had the ears to hear? Through the crowd. Because the other thing that we know for sure is that god expects fathers to do good things for their children matthew chapter seven verse nine is a wonderful story of this it's, it's jesus he's talking to a group which is clearly a group of fathers and he, and he and he says which of you if your son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake if, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? You see, from God's perspective, all fathers, even fathers that do not know Christ, and aren't Christians, are supposed to be a reflection of Him. They're supposed to imitate His goodness. In fact, if if this were not the case, this entire analogy that Jesus Just laid out loses its meaning. You see, I believe that good fathers are an example of common grace, like the life-giving rain which falls on the righteous and the wicked alike. See, there's saving grace, but then there's common grace. And I believe that fathers, whether they're Christians or not, are an example of common grace. Examples of common grace. But there's more. You know, when you When you contemplate the symbolism that Jesus' example actually lays out for us clearly, there's a deeper meaning, especially for fathers. For example, consider that comparison of a stone versus bread. Especially for a small child. A piece of bread and a small stone can look the same and feel the same, but they're not the same. You know, a little stone, like one of those little pieces of little dinner rolls, right? Hard, crusty on the top, warm, stone sitting out in the heat, warm. Looks the same, feels the same, but not the same. And bread was and remains today a source of physical life and sustenance, and it represents the, the spiritual life as Christ's body, which was broken for the salvation of the world. A stone, especially in the time of Christ, could be used as a tool for destruction. Remember, stones were used to martyr Stephen, right? And consider the symbolism of the fish compared to the serpent. See, the fish is a key symbol of the Christian faith. note, Jesus' first disciples were fishermen whom he transformed, right, into fishers of men. In contrast, the serpent is a symbol of the evil one who seeks to thwart the gospel and lead mankind down a path of death and destruction so what jesus is saying in this passage is that fathers are called to make sure that their children have both physical life but also spiritual life godly fathers are supposed to provide a pathway and a connection to the saving grace because when they give their children good gifts it makes it easier for their children to connect to the Heavenly Father who's going to give the best gift of all, which is His Son who died on the cross for their sins. You know, my wife uh, told me a story some years ago about a friend of hers. Um, she met at work, and this one was, wasn't a Christian, and uh, they'd share lunch together every now and then. And she told me of an occasion where she and her friend went out to get lunch and got their lunch, and they're outside. And and uh, my wife asked if she can pray. And my wife is one of these folks that when she prays, she prays for everything. And so, you know, mosquitoes are God's beloved bloodsuckers. You know, she just, the ducks and the birds and the flowers and everything got prayed for. So she starts off this prayer, dear Heavenly Father, and then she prays for all these things. And then when she finishes, she's looking up at the, her friend, and her friend has a strange look on her face. And my wife thinks, oh, I must have said something that offended her. I mean, the whole deal is that my prayer did offend you. The woman says, no, 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 your prayer was beautiful. I just could never say that because my father was such a insert explicative. See, because she had an earthly father that wasn't reflecting goodness, it was a stumbling block for her to see her heavenly father in the right way. That's what I tell people all the time. Like people are like, yeah. This fatherhood issue is so important, it's so critical. Why do you think every single movement out there has in its sights deconstructing the family, and in order to do that, it's about ripping fathers from families? Every movement, I won't go through the list of them, they all do, why? Because they understand clearly that if fathers are dangerous, absent, abusive, neglectful, Then that will create a stumbling block for children and others to connect to the notion of a loving Heavenly Father. And that's why, for uh, for us as fathers, we have to see that we're supposed to be an earthly reflection of a heavenly reality, an earthly reflection of a heavenly reality. It's a high calling, it's a high honor. Now, turning back to Bartimaeus, note that when Jesus called him, he left his cloak. Now, think about this for a second. He was a blind beggar, a blind beggar, and his cloak was all he had, probably, and he used his cloak for everything, right? It was his his cover at night to keep him warm. He used it when he bathed. He probably collected his change and tied it up in his cloak, And when Jesus called him in that passage, you remember he says, leaving his cloak behind. Leaving his cloak behind. Now, it's interesting, because he's a blind beggar. If you leave your cloak behind, what are the odds he's going to find that again? And plus, was the crowd going to help him? No, they were telling him, hey, shut up. Don't bother Jesus. So he didn't have any friends there. But he left it behind. And you know what's interesting? That was an amazing act of faith, because he knew, right, he knew that when he met Jesus, he wasn't going to be blind anymore. It's an amazing act of faith. Now, the reason I say that is because I think that that's also relevant to fathers, this act of faith. Because I suspect that um, there's some parenting situations that you have that are challenging. And you may be thinking, well, I can't reach my kids you might be saying to yourself that you know i don't understand their world i mean i can't break through i mean you know they've got all they've got chaos and distraction i mean there's music there's ipad there's snapchat there's movies there's culture there's all these things and i really want to encourage you today that you can break through but in order to break through you're gonna to have to have ears like jesus you're going to have to have a willingness to enter the chaos sometimes that is their life. And you're going to have to have the view that fatherhood is not just a receiving ministry, but it's also a retrieving ministry when you go and you enter into their lives. Now, let me transition a little bit. I want to talk to the sons and daughters, the folks who are not parents here today, um, maybe, and uh, maybe the younger said a little bit. Because I think it's time for a new beginning there too. You know, Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 talks about the fifth commandment and it is to honor your father and your mother. Now, I know this is not always easy to do. Going back to my own story, it was certainly hard for me at times to honor my father, certainly after he left. But it's interesting, God doesn't say honor your father if your father is a good father, then you can honor him. If he gives you what you want or what you feel that you need, we're simply just called to honor him. So if you have a good relationship with your father, honor him with your love and your presence. He's an earthly reflection of a heavenly reality. He's a good thing, and not just on Father's Day. But if you don't have a good relationship with your father, this is where forgiveness and reconciliation come into the picture. For me, the way that I was able to honor my father, even after his passing, because he died in 1998 was by forgiving him for what he did and what he did not do if you've never tried it i would highly recommend forgiveness first god expects and commands it from us but it's also a very freeing experience god you know so god removes an enormous burden he removed an enormous burden from my heart and from my soul when i forgave and will from yours as well And the other thing which I realized was that the forgiveness is not really for him. It's actually for me, and it's actually for you. I heard someone say once that unforgiveness is like acid. It destroys whatever it's stored in. Unforgiveness is like acid. It destroys whatever it's stored in. And importantly, forgiveness is the first step towards reconciliation. So I would encourage you to take that first step today with your dad and by the way dads there is also an implied command for us in the fifth commandment it commands children to honor their fathers and their mothers but it's always easier to honor someone who is honorable think about it right? so are you making it easy for your children to honor you are you living an honorable life in public and in private. See, see, if you have the view here and you say, "Well, gosh, you know, I, I love my kids so much. I I just want, I just want the best for them." Well, the, that verse says, "Honor your father and your mother, so that what your days will be long." So I want that for my kid. Well, if you want that for your kid, then that means key job for any dad, any mom for that matter, is to make it easier for their children. To live out the, first, the fifth commandment. Is that how you view in your role as a, as a father or mother? Am I making it easy for my kids to honor me? Because I'm living a way that's honorable. The second thing I really want to say here today, and specifically for sons, and mainly young men, is there's a difference between becoming a man and becoming a father. Now, there's a lot of messages out in the culture about what it means to be a man and different examples and all kinds of stuff. And this transit from boyhood to manhood um, is an, um, important and, and sometimes a very difficult transition. But you hear very little and next to nothing, for the most part, on what it means to be a good father. And it's critical that young men start to prepare themselves to be good fathers, even if they don't have good fathers. And, and one of these reasons is that manhood can be very, a very self-centered institution. <laughs> and we're actually encouraged to do that. You know, I did it my way, I'm a self-made man, that kind of thing. And plus, we actually expect that of men. you got to be able to take care of yourself. It's a calling that men even place on other men, which is a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing. But when you think about fatherhood, fatherhood is other-centered. I mean, the thing that makes you a father is what? You have a kid. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just a guy, right? So fatherhood is other-centered. It's about sacrificing your need and wants for those of your children. So it's critical that as, as you mature into manhood, that you're thinking about what you need to do to prepare yourself to be a good dad. So if you're... Growing up without a good dad, it can be difficult to be what you didn't see and to give what you didn't have. I understand that well. So you're going to have to be intentional. And if you want to, you know, shoot a better jump shot, what do you do? You get a coach, right? I want to be a rocket scientist. What do I do? I want to hang around with people who are rocket scientists. Well, if you want to be a good dad, what do you think has to happen? You need to find people who are good dads, and you need to model and this is where moms come in, particularly single moms. This is where moms come in, they're so critical. You I know, mean, I didn't say this during the first service, but I tell you, you know, often I'll tell single moms, I'll say, you know, what kind of father is your son gonna be? Most of the time, he's never even been asked that, never even thought about it. But instinctively, a good one. He's gonna be a good father. I say, really, well, what kind of father does he have? Oh, he's a jerk. I say, okay, so what's being model? jerkness so why would you not expect your son to be well i'm going to teach him to be a good father well actually no you're going to teach him how to be a good single mother which is exactly what he's not going to be and by the way the better job that you do as a single mother the more you're teaching him that he doesn't have to be there not that he does everything about that so if you don't want him to be what he's seeing then you're going to have to do something different You're going to have to connect him to what you hope he will be, right? If you want to be a good husband and a good father, then you need to connect to to guys who are good husbands and good fathers and tell your son, I need you to be that. And by the way, that also applies to your daughter. If you don't want her to be a single mother, you need to be connecting her to women who are mothers and wives and helping her have that aspiration for that. Let me just transition and talk to grandfathers a little bit, and I guess maybe the empty nesters fall into this as well. Um, You know, clearly there's some things that are transferable or relevant to you in terms of being an honorable father and and an honorable son. But there's another idea that I think is a unique contribution that that you can play here, and it's something I call being a double-duty dad. A double-duty dad is is a father who steps into the gaps or is a father figure for someone whose father is a guy who who sees a need around him and takes actions. I really encourage guys to you know, look down and around. Look down and around into your own circle of influence in your neighborhood, your church, your family, and step in and meet a need. So asking yourself, you know, are there, is there a child within my circle of influence in your family who needs a father's guidance? Because you may be uniquely positioned and equipped to step into the gap. And, and, and I tell guys all the time, look, even if you weren't a great dad, And you made mistakes. We all do at some level. You learn from those mistakes. And you've got an opportunity to share what you learned with this other child. You've got something of value that you can add to the community and to families. Let me give you just a personal story that kind of illustrates this point. About five years ago, I got a call with some of the most dreaded news anyone will hear. A friend of mine, a guy named Jay Young, one of my best friends, died unexpectedly. He was just 50 years old. It was a tough loss. We'd been friends for over 30 years since our freshman year in college at Princeton University. And along with a loving wife, he left a 12-year-old son named Jared, who now had to make this perilous journey from boyhood to manhood without the steadfast guidance of a loving father. And you know, Jay and I, you know, we, we had a lot in common, which is why we connected. We both were African American boys who grew up in Midwestern Rust Belt towns. We were avid football fans and played football all the way from grade school all the way through college. We both loved the Pittsburgh Steelers. Go Steelers. <laughs> oh golf clap from somebody there. <laughs> Additionally, we grew up in single mother homes. And the absence of our fathers really shaped in many ways the kinds of fathers that we would become. I mean, this, this topic of fatherhood was an ever-present one. It was a defining aspect of our relationship. Therefore, we were both committed to passing on a legacy different than the one we had inherited. And over the years, I watched as Jay invested his life in his son, Jared, and became an involved, responsible, and committed father. It was kind of an amazing thing, and now he was gone. So on the night before Jay's funeral, a group of Jay's closest friends, most of whom were dads, we had a dinner in his honor. We cried and we reminisced and talked about a life well lived. But we also planned. You see, we knew that Jared was going to need us. Indeed, we were uniquely positioned to speak into this young man's life and to help him on his journey to manhood. Of course, we weren't seeking to replace his father. I mean, no one could. But as men and fathers, we knew that we could show what a father's love looked like and felt like to him. And so that's what we did. And now, there were a lot of reasons why we could have said, oh, you know, you know just chalked our kind of getting together up to sort of a grief-driven hubris. We were all busy guys with busy lives with wives and kids of our own. Many of us lived far away from Jared. But Jay was known uh, for his many pithy sayings that were filled with wisdom wisdom and spot on. And one of them he was fond of saying was, Don't make excuses, make excellence. Don't make excuses, make excellence. And so we did. And so over the last five years, we visited, called, texted, wrote all these things uh, for Jared. And we sent our collective, e- we lent our collective ears to hear him share his hopes, his dreams, and his fears. We celebrated his successes and encouraged him when he faced obstacles that seemed too oversized for him to overcome. And we loved him unconditionally. And did Indeed, we did the best that we could to do what Jay would have done for him because in our mind, Jay's boy was now our boy too. So it was really gratifying a couple of weeks ago when we got a chance to go to Jared's graduation. Just an amazing kid and uh, a straight-A student, leader in his school. He got accepted to two Ivy League universities. He's going to be attending Princeton in the fall, just like Jay and most of his uncles, as he calls us now. It's just an amazing story. And you know, there are many, many, many more kids out there like Jared that need fathers To step into the gap, and so there's a call for all of us, and and no matter how old you are, remember Caleb. He's what over eighty or whatever it was, and he was still taking ground for God. So there's a role for each and every one of us. So as Jay says, let's not make excuses. Let's make excellence. Amen. Now I want to speak to the guys that are not dads, the single guys, the bachelors. Or maybe the married guys without kids, but you know who you are, and you may feel like a lot of this talk is not necessary for you, doesn't apply to you. But I want to let you know that you play a very, very important role here. Here's the way I want you to think about this. I want you to think about fatherhood not just as an individual act, but as an institution, because that's really what it is. It's a biblical and cultural institution that is incredibly important. So even if you're not a father, you can honor this institution now. The fifth commandment, which I talked about, right, has this this commandment in it for kids to honor their father and their mother, right? And I talked about the fact that there's an implied command for fathers to be honorable. And that's really where you come in. I mean, what are you doing to help fathers you know act honorably? Are you helping or hindering their ability to be good dads to their kids? Let's say you got you, you're, you're, you're a single guy and your best single friend, the guy that you go to concerts with and baseball games and you know you shoot and hunt with and spit with and everything you do all the stuff with with this guy and he gets married and has a kid what do you do if you're pressuring him to continue to stay out late and do all the single guy things that he was doing before are you really helping him be an honorable father if you're expecting him to continue spending excessive time and money on your favorite bachelor activities instead of on his family are you helping him be An honorable father. I always say, you know, if a guy, if if one of your buddies is a father, is so involved in fantasy football that he's treating his family like a fantasy and fantasy football like it's real, are you calling him out on that? Are you holding him accountable? See, as non-dads, you can honor the institution of fatherhood by holding dads accountable to their responsibility as fathers you should not give a dad a pass when they're not living up to their role but it's important it's important and it's critically important that you help them obey that implied fifth commandment fatherhood is about you too And finally, let me speak to the wives and the mothers. Are you giving your husband, the father of your kids, the encouragement that he needs to be the kind of father that God has called him to be? Or are you trying to turn him into another copy of you? Fathers are different, fatherhood is different. Not better different and the research shows that this is actually what kids need that god was wise he created men and women differently and when men and women engage in in fatherhood and motherhood in god's design it gives kids what they need it's god's design have you ever thought about the fact you know it's interesting that jesus had an earthly father i mean just think about it for a second right the scripture says that jesus was going to be born of a virgin but it didn't say a married virgin so jesus could have come into the world via a single mother would accomplish god's purpose but it would have violated a principle a design he had a design for how children are to come into the world and jesus came in consistent with that design so that's why when mary was pregnant she said let it be unto me as you have said and he said well good that's done what do you do send an angel to joseph said listen i need you to Be a husband to her and a father to the child growing inside of her, right? And when Mary and and, and Jesus were at risk, who did the angel go to? Went to Joseph, said, what, I need you to do two things, provide and protect. Husband to her, father to the child growing inside of her, provide and protect. Now, if God made sure that Jesus had an earthly father, shouldn't you? If at all possible, shouldn't you? You know, it's interesting, we did a study when I was at National Fatherhood Initiative called Mama Says, a national survey of a mother's attitudes about fathering. And one of the telling questions that just stuck with me over the years was we asked mothers, to what degree do you feel that the father of your child is replaceable by you or some other guy? 60% of the mothers felt that he was replaceable by her or some other guy. 60%. And this is married moms, I mean, it's a nationally represented sample. 60% blew me away. Now, if you really believe that, you're probably gonna treat him that way. And if, if, if you treat him like he's replaceable, is it surprising that he starts to think he's replaceable and starts to retreat and just go in the man cave and play fantasy football? So if you want him more engaged, the other study that we found, if you want fathers more engaged, the study found also that the mothers who engaged the fathers and encouraged them and spoke that to them had more engaged husbands and fathers. You celebrate what you want more of. So if you want him to be that, help him be that. You love your kids? Great. You understand the fifth commandment? Yes. It says not just honor your mother, but honor your mother and your father. Therefore, you should be working to make sure that he's as honorable as possible. And you should be speaking well of him to your children. Not lying to them, but speaking well. And sometimes that means not speaking at all. Right? So let me close on this one last point. Helen Keller, who was blind from birth, once said, the saddest thing in life are those who have sight but have no vision. The saddest thing in life are those who have sight and have no vision. Very powerful and very relevant. Because you want to note that when Jesus healed Bartimaeus, he not only received his sight, but he had a new vision. Remember when Jesus told him, go, what did he do? He followed Jesus. He had his he had sight, yes, but he also had a new vision. He had a new beginning and my prayer for all of you today is that you will too we have a mission to reach those around us especially the wee ones especially the wee ones indeed as you know we we exist what to be disciples who make disciples who live in love like jesus amen amen May god bless you daily as you serve him faithfully and happy father's day Thanks very much.